Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which is available now as an audiobook, a paperback, and the ebook is free, yes, free, to download whenever you're watching or listening to us, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, once you're hooked on the series, come back with money for books two and three. We'll have a good time. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers, such as my young adult novel, All Together Now, A Zombie Story, and several others. Uh, for information about that, and more importantly, for interviews with thousands of editors, authors, literary agents, publicists, book people, the world's best people, uh, go to middlegradeninja.com. You'll see the entire back catalog of the show, plus more information than you can get through in a day. Probably plan it for the weekend. You'll have a good time. Uh, my guest today is Jenna Yoon. Jenna, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Jenna Yoon. I am um, an auth the author of Leah Park and the Missing Jewel, which comes out on May 3rd. Here is an arc. <laughs> um, a little bit about myself. I lived about half my life in Korea and the other half in the States. Um, my background is in Korean art history. I have a master's in Korean art history. And currently, I'm living in Texas. And um, so I've got all kinds of questions for you. Uh, but I <laughs> start with, uh, when did you catch the, the writing bug? What's your first memory of thinking, oh, I might want to be an author someday? Oh, it was when I was really little. Um, my mom, so when we first moved to the States, I was maybe, I was three. And so... Like one of my first memories is my mom would give me a coloring book and um, I, I would color on it. And then she was like, you know, on the back of it, why don't you write a story about uh, like, what you think this picture is about? And so it was from that point I started writing. <laughs> I was like, this is so fun. What a great idea. And it was like, it was the best activity ever for me. Um, so I, I would say like, I, it started when I was maybe like, Five or whenever I could write, those were some of my earliest memories. And um, out of curiosity, do you remember if your first story would have been written uh, in English or in Korean? Because you, you were fluent in both at that point, right? I was fluent in both at the time. I think it was English um, because um, my parents taught, didn't really teach me how to write in Korean as much because they were focused on me learning um, English and getting ready for kindergarten. So I, I think I was writing in English and I actually learned um, English by watching Sesame Street. <laughs> I was, I, I learned English through Sesame Street and I had these, um, I had these, okay, so back then it was like those cassette tapes and they had stories on those cassette tapes. <laughs> And uh, my favorite story was about Shira, and it was like a read-along book. And I memorized the whole book, and that's how I like sort of learned to speak and and write. And those were the first stories I heard <laughs> through Sesame Street and Shira. And well, there's a little bit of that DNA that's uh, come through uh, now to Leah, right, with the mm -hmm. the magical protagonist. Yeah, just, just a little bit, not not a lot. 
you know, I had the uh, we mentioned the the read along uh, with the with the tape, and I was a child of the eighties and nineties, uh, like you, uh, and I had the the tape for ET, the the book of the movie read by Michael Jackson. Wow. Uh, and at some point, we 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 sold it at garage sale, and I'm kicking myself now because I'm sure it's it's potentially worth some money. I know you shouldn't have sold it. <laughs> I never I never got that one. I never listened to that one. I wish I did. That sounds so cool. Well, if you've seen the movie, you, you've got the story here. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've got the fullness. Uh, I do wish that they, uh, well, they probably do have some version of that now uh, where you're, you can uh, do a read-along book uh, online. I don't know if, uh, if there's an active series that's going with that. I haven't seen one for a while. Um, they do, because I have a daughter who's um, six now. And so we have, just like, you know, um, Aladdin or those other storybooks, it's CDs now. So <laughs> we listen to it in the car. <laughs> so they have um, similar ones now, but it's just um, for like those Disney stories. And uh, so then you go on to study art history at Wellesley College, and then you get your master's degree in Korean art history. Um, what uh, was, were those uh, all part of the master strategy to become an author or <laughs> were you, were you, uh, what, what, what drew you to art, to art history? Um, well, so I loved writing and I love doing research and at Wellesley, it's a liberal arts college. So you have to take all these different classes to, to meet your graduation requirement. And so the, one of the first classes I took was an art history class. And I was like, wow, I can like do a lot of research here. And like, you know, it, it, it felt like detective work for me to figure out different things and putting pieces of a puzzle together. And so that's sort of how I got into art history. And um, during my senior year, I took a class on Chinese art history. And I, towards the end of it, I was writing a research paper and it was on the Song Dynasty in China. And I wanted to write um, a research paper on uh, the trade between the Song Dynasty in China and the Goryeo Dynasty in Korea. So of course, you know, I went to the library to do my research and there were like no books on Korea. I was like, oh, that's strange. And then I went to the bookstore and all these places and I couldn't find very many books on Korea. And at that time, it, it was um, 2000, early 2000s. So there wasn't much on the internet either. And, um, you know, I asked my professor why not. And he, you know, he was just kind of saying there was more, a lot of research done in America or in the States it, about China and Japan, but for Korea, there, there wasn't that much. And he was like, why don't you, you know, he was like, this is a great opportunity for you. Like your parents are still in Korea. You could go back to Korea, go to graduate school and then do your master's there and then come back to the States and get your PhD here. And then you could be a professor in Korean art history. You could be a pioneer. I was like, you know, and I was like in my early, 20s I think I was like 21 or something and I was like that's brilliant I should do that <laughs> and so you know I didn't think about all the details I just applied and I got in and um, on the application it said that I could write my 
master's thesis in English. So I'm like, okay, that'll be okay. And then I went, and when I went, it was like the most difficult time in my life because my professor told me like to graduate, this is Korean art history. You applied to Korean art history. So you need to write your master's thesis in Korean because everyone reading your thesis is Korean. <laughs> if you wrote, if you applied to like uh, the Western art history department, you could write it in English, but like for a Korean one, you have to write in Korean. So I was like, oh, because even though I was fluent in Korean, I've never formally studied like Korean grammar or like I've never really written in sentences before. So I'm like, okay, this this is will be interesting. So it was like Korean language boot camp for me. Like I had to record all the all the lectures because I I didn't understand like. They use very um, technical terms, which I didn't know. I know, like, I knew, like, conversational Korean, not um, academic Korean. And so it was a huge learning curve. And eventually, you know, I wrote my thesis in Korean and I graduated. But at that time, I kind of felt that I needed a break because I went straight from undergrad starting art history to graduate school starting starting um, studying art history and I wanted a little bit of a break and um, also I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue a PhD I I thought maybe you know I want to try different other things related to art history but um, yeah so that didn't work out but I feel grateful for having that experience because now I am fluent in Korean I can write in Korean um, and I've learned so much about um, Korean art history, and I can incorporate that into my writing. So you know, I don't, I don't regret it. But it was, it was a, it was a really difficult experience. I'm assuming you were able to to read to read the language um, since you were studying the art the, for information. Apparently, was not available here uh, in English at that point because you're you're a pioneer, right? So you can read it. It's just the uh, the difficulty of of then being able to write it. So how did you uh, over overcome that? Did you have a coach that came and worked with you, or several, or peers that that reviewed your stuff? No. So in the beginning, I recorded everything, and when I had to write, I wrote it in English first, and then I translated it into Korean using like dictionaries. Um, and then I lived, I was living at home with my parents. So my dad helped me like look over my sentences, but it was a really long process to write everything in English and then have to translate it. Um, and then as time went by, um, I got used to it and you get used to certain like words and phrases that they use a lot in like in academia. And so um, that became a little easier. And eventually I started um, thinking first and writing first in Korean. So that shortened the, the writing process a lot more. But it was just a lot of memorization, a lot of reading, just really long nights and listening to the recordings of the lectures. Because in the beginning, when I was listening to the lectures, I had to listen to what he was saying and then translate everything into English and write it down because I couldn't write Korean fast enough. And so that took a lot of time too. Um, but it, eventually it got better, like by um, 
I started in 2002 and graduated in 2006. So by 2006 is better. Well, that's, I mean, a PhD program is uh, more than enough work for anybody uh, without that additional complication. Yeah, this was a master's, but um, for the PhD, I was going to apply separately in the States. But then um, at that point, I was just like, I think I need a little break. <laughs> well, now, obviously, there are um, uh, some sections in, 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 in Leah uh, that are written uh, in Korean where it goes back and forth between that and English. Could you ever see yourself writing an entire novel, you think, in Korean? Um. I could, but I think still um, I, I would want to do it in English because I feel like these kind of books with, you know, a Korean main character, it's not as common in the States. And I think it's more needed here. Whereas if I were to write a book in Korea, like everyone is Korean and they're all writing in books in Korean. And uh, I feel like I could reach more readers if I were to do that here in English. Uh, which is now that we're uh, all, uh, May is, uh, well, as esteemed audiences listening to us, May has gloriously happened. Uh, as we're recording this, May is about to happen. So we're, we're at the eve of <laughs> all of that uh, coming to fruition. Um, I wanted to ask oh, a few things. Um, one, one thing I noticed in your bio is that you take skincare very seriously. And I thought <laughs> you were giving out uh, skincare products as, as well as copies of Leah Park. Um, well, I'm actually doing a giveaway with my sister. Um, she's, my sister is the CEO and founder of Peach and Lily. It's a Korean skincare company. Um, and she's also a licensed esthetician. So she formulates her own um, products and uh, different products that I love using. I think they're great. Um, so we decided to do a giveaway of all the things we love, like skincare and um, this book. So currently that giveaway is going on. But by the time this airs, that will be done. <laughs> but yeah, we both, we love skincare. <laughs> Um, and I think it's, it's probably something that, um, our parents or just Koreans in general, they instill in us when you're little to take care of your skin. It's like, um, preventative care, I guess, you know, like taking care of it before it's, it, it starts getting bad. <laughs> so in my twenties, you know, it was a lot of facials, facial packs, like hydration, you know. Um, stuff like that, so that it carries on as you get older. And I saw that your sister has thanked uh, uh, quite a bit in the acknowledgments and that she uh, read earlier drafts and was helpful to you. And have you been, is that reciprocated? Do you help her with her, with her skincare company as well? She's definitely read um, a lot of the earlier versions of the book and um, both her and my brother-in-law, they're avid readers. And so they, um, they had a lot of good input. I know people say you shouldn't have your family read it because they'll only say good things or they won't look at it with a critical eye. But I think for me, in my case, um, my family helps me a lot because they're, they're actually uh, quite 
lovingly critical <laughs> in their comments and they you know I can trust their judgment and so yeah she's she's read a lot of the earlier drafts and um it's it's helped me in my um, progress and for her products I do get first dibs so she when she's formulating them she gives me like five samples and she's like I want you to try all of these and see which like which formula you like the best and so I'm like the first tester <laughs> gotcha so and you give I'm assuming you give her as uh, helpful lovingly critiques when it's it's it could use a little bit of work <laughs> Yes, I do. I do. Definitely. It goes both ways. But I, I love um, testing them on and um, I, get, I do give her, you know, I say this one's better or this one worked better for me. But, you know, it's kind of hard because everyone's skin is different. So, um, but it, it, it was fun. <laughs> so, um you're you're a pioneer in art history you're doing that and all the while are you thinking one day i'm going to write a novel or is that even a thought in your head at that point no that wasn't a thought in my head at all um i just wanted a break from art history and um you know i could have gone different routes i could have you know tried to work at a museum be a curator or work at an auction house but i just really wanted a break and so I decided to pursue something else that I was like really passionate about, which was teaching at the time and working with kids. And so um, I, I created, I made my own company. <laughs> I, 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 I hate to say the word company because it was just me, but <laughs> I had a personal business um, just like, developing curriculum for kids and tutoring and um, doing, I guess it's called like educational consulting. So if they're studying abroad in the United States, I would help them kind of figure out how to, um, like what classes to take in eighth grade or ninth grade or 10th grade. Um, but I'm so out of the loop now, so I, I can't really do that. This was like, you know, in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, so I started doing that for a while, and um, I realized then that I really liked working with children. So I moved back to the States in um, around 2010-ish, and then I pursued early childhood education, and I was a preschool teacher for a while, actually. Oh, wow. So you went from working with the adolescents all the way to, to preschool, so you, you've done the whole, the whole gamut. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm assuming that in talking to those kids and getting a sense of who they are, that starts to help you formulate characters in your mind that are going to come in handy uh, once, you, once you become now a middle grade novelist. When, um, when, did you, when did you finally get struck by the urge that, oh, I need to write a book? Mm, I think so. For the longest time, when I was growing up, I loved writing and I loved reading. And I still, you know, and I continued to read, but I stopped writing because I was, I want to say like early elementary, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I went to school 
And um, I, I was really proud of this research paper I wrote, or I don't know, some, something I wrote, I was very proud of it. And um, I was waiting. So when the teacher passed out all the, you know, the grades to everyone, I was waiting for mine because I wanted to hear what this teacher that who, who I respected so much, what she had to say about my writing. And then in red, it said, bring your, I need to talk to your parents, like bring your parents in. I was like, oh, <laughs> I wonder why. And then so my parents, I brought my parents in. And, you know, again, like, we had just immigrated um, when I was three. So my dad at that time, he was going to law school. So his English was, you know, pretty good, but I was home mostly with my mom and her English is, is conversational, but you know, anyhow, they came to, to um, the conference and the teacher was like, you know, I, I can't grade this. I need her to rewrite it. And uh, my parents were like, why? And they said that, she said that I plagiarized, that I had um, like copied this off of something, off of a book. And my parents were like, no, she didn't. And when they asked me at home, I was like, of course I didn't. And they were like, well, if she didn't plagiarize, then you know we don't allow parents to help children with their homework, to write their homework for them. And you know, my parents were like, we didn't help her. Like she wrote this herself. She was actually really proud of, you know, that she thinks she's a good writer. <laughs> and then there, you know, and so the teacher didn't believe me and she thought I had copied. And like, I think she like grudgingly, you know, listened to them. And then she just kind of gave me a grade after that. But that just kind of stuck with me. And um, I, I stopped writing after that. Like, even though I loved it so much, I just... I didn't feel like I was that good to, to write. Um, yeah, I just didn't feel like I, I was that good. So I stopped writing and I limited myself to just writing in my journal. And um, yeah, I, I always wanted to be a writer, but when hearing that, I, it just made me stop. And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, I kind of feel like, what teachers say matter, it impacts kids so much. They're so influential, especially if it's somebody that you respected. And um, yeah, I guess an advice I would give myself and other kids is, you know, don't listen to critics. If you love something, just keep doing it because, you know, everyone's going to have all these opinions and it doesn't matter. You know, not everyone's going to like your work, but uh, Anyhow, so I stopped writing actually, and um, I didn't start again until I want to say I had my I had my daughter, my first daughter, who's six now, and um, I was pregnant with my second. But before I became pregnant with my second, we kind of you know were trying, and um, you know I I had a, a little bit of trouble and like several miscarriages, but it came from that place in my life where writing became um, an escape and sort of healing. And um, from there, it kind of, that's how I got back into writing. And um, I, I looked at my daughter who was uh, maybe three and 
she she loved Elsa. We loved going to Disney store. <laughs> it was like, it was her Disneyland. And um, one day she told me like, mommy, why is Elsa's hair yellow? Why is mine black? And then she was just so sad. I, and she was like, well, when I grow up, will my hair turn yellow? Will it turn blonde? I was like, no, our hair is black. And, you know, this is just what we look like. And, you know, everyone looks different and it's all beautiful and special. And she was so upset and she cried. And I think at that moment, like I'm healing myself and I hear my daughter saying these things and it just made me want to like create a, like do my part to create something better for her so that when she grows up, she can see people that look like her in books and she won't feel like, hey, I look different, you know, like she'll love herself for who she is and what she looks like. And, um, and I noticed, you know, as she's growing up, there's more and more, um, even animation with Asian characters like Over the Moon or Raya. And she was just, her face lights up and she's like, look, they look like me, they're like me. And so it just, so my me starting to write again and writing these types of books, it came from, it started from healing and then wanting something better for my daughter. I hope that that teacher, so, so Jenna Yoon, I, th I think I had her in class. Oh, look, she, she wrote a book. And oh, she's on a podcast and they're going to hear that story. They say, oh, I, I need to go away and do a little bit of self-reflection. I, I think I might be the bad guy. And that that will be the start of hopefully uh, an amount of uh, tremendous growth for this person who would do that to a child. Because you were, you were how old when she went straight to your parents? It was probably like eight or nine. I was, I wasn't, I was pretty young at that time. Um, I think that's why, like, if I was older, I might have been able to brush it off and then, like, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. But um, I was so young at that time. So, like, what adults say really matters and especially what a teacher says. So, well, obviously, the story has a happy ending. Here you are with your debut novel. You, you <laughs> have become a writer. But that does retroactively fill me with rage for a nine-year-old you that she mm -hmm. has an experience. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that happen. Thank you. Um, but like I say, happy ending. Here you are. You've, you've got your book. So your, your daughter says this to you from the Disney store, and this sets you on a, on a mission. Uh, and I know in the afterword for Leah Park, you say that Leah Park is the hero that you hungered for when you were younger, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're going to create this character, um, what responsibility do you feel? What is it that you want? before Leah Park as, as you're sending her out into the world? Mm, so yeah, growing up, I didn't see characters like myself in books. I mean, you know, in the early, in the 80s and 90s, there was nothing, almost nothing. And so um, I wanted kids reading the book to see a character that looks like that. And also I wanted all kids to just have a fun and engaging and interesting journey while reading the book. And, you know, just to show that 
differences, like once you get to know um, different cultures, you realize it's not that different. Like we all have the same like um, themes running in our lives and the same characteristics. It's just um, maybe packaged a little differently. But um, yeah, so I wanted everyone to sort of um, enjoy, enjoy the differences and to celebrate it. And we uh, know listeners of this show are really just people who are alive at this time. I uh, have, have seen the We Need Diverse Books movement. They were aware that we had um, an absolute lack of representation historically. And that hopefully we're starting to see the tide turn a bit on that um, now. But you have the experience of you're here in the States and then sometimes you're back in Korea. So you know that this is all just, this is how things are here, not everywhere. Does that make a, a difference for you? Does that make it a little bit easier, a little bit harder? It is different. Um, so I, I moved to the States when I was three and I lived here until I was in eighth grade actually. And then in eighth grade, my, whole, my family moved back to Korea. So I attended international school in Korea. Um, and it was a culture shock because, not because I didn't know Korean, it was a culture shock because here I, I was a minority. And then when I moved to Korea, I'm like, oh, everyone is like me, I'm part of the majority. And to just see how um, my opinions mattered, how I was treated, it was different you know, as opposed to, um, like when you face racism in the States, it's, um, I think having that experience in Korea where I'm part of the majority, now looking back on it as an adult and I'm here, I'm like, why, why are you treating me that way? Like, why are we any different? You know, it, it seems, it's because I think Part of it is because I've seen what it could be and how I should be treated. And then when I'm here, it's, of course, it's not always like that. There's those moments where I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. And I think for me, I draw that as a strength because I see what, that like, it's not okay. This is what it should be. Um, yeah, so for me, I, I see it as a strength, and I, um, I, I really appreciate that my parents took me back to Korea, even though at that time, it was like the worst thing ever, like for an eighth grader who has all their friends in the States to like all of a sudden their family, like you're going to move to Korea, and there's no like email or phone or anything, but it's like writing letters to your friends in the States. I mean, you can't really keep that up for very long. So um, it was a bit of an adjustment, but in hindsight, it was, it was a great experience. And um, I, I thank them for that. As good as my word, I promised you that I would not uh, make you sit through me summarize your novel. Uh, so what does esteemed audience need to know about Leah Park and the missing jewel? Well, Leah Park is a 12 year old Korean American and she's living in California. And her parents are in a magic, a secret magic organization called IMA 
International Magic Agency. And she wants more than anything, she wants to be a part of IMA. But unfortunately, she has no magic. And so she decides that in order to belong, she will forget about this magic thing because she has no magic. She's going to be part of um, the regular people, like the normal people, and she'll just be the popular girl there, the most popular girl, and join that crowd because that, you know, in her mind, it, it she'll feel like she belongs somewhere. And so that's her plan. And she gets an invitation to the birthday party of the most popular girl. Her parents do not let her go. Um, they forbid her from going, but she sneaks out anyways. <laughs> and she goes. And that just sets off a whole, a lot of events that are not good, which start from her parents, her house being ransacked and her parents kidnapped by an, this evil diviner who wants a jewel, a dragon's jewel in return for her parents. And so she goes off on a journey to, to save them. Uh, and then our, was this the, hopefully the start of a series? Is there more Leah Park to, to come you think or? Yes, it's, it's part of a series. There's a, a book too that I'm currently working on. Hopefully there's more, but I don't know. <laughs> For now, there's two. <laughs> yeah, I can't start asking. It's, it's unfair of me to start demanding book three when I tell you <laughs> all the way through book two, fair enough. <laughs> working on book two now, so there will definitely be a book two. <laughs> And who would you say is the ideal reader for, for Leah Park and the Missing Jewel? Um, I think anyone that loves fantasy and adventure. And this one is a contemporary fantasy. So it's set in the real world with like, you know, magic elements. So kids who enjoy that, kids who... Um, like a little bit of history or art in the books. Um, and people who like Korean culture. It's a lot of, there's a lot of um, Korean culture I put in the book as well. Um, and of course, like Asian Americans, I would love to see Asian Americans, Korean Americans read the book as well. But I think I intended it for um, just generally people who love fantasy and adventure. <laughs> When did you uh, first have the idea? Is this an idea that you carried around in the back of your mind for a long time? Or was it as soon as you had that moment in the Disney store, I'm going to create a character from there on? No, the character I had for a while, it just never really developed into a story. And I think, um, I would say maybe most young kids, they like magic and being a spy or being like something secret or, cause like I, I see my children play and they're all like, I have, I have flower powers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they like writing things secretly in their notebooks. So I've always been into um, magic and, uh, and um, spies. Like aside from my dream of being a writer, um, 
I always wanted, my secret dream was to be a, um, a undercover secret agent spy. <laughs> and so I think I kind of lived that out vicariously through my character, but those ideas were always in my head about like what kind of character I wanted to create, but it just never really had um, a story beyond that. Being an author is a little bit like being a spy at times, right? Just because you're observing humanity around you and, and, and making mental notes for, oh, that'll work good in the story. Oh, I need to express some version of this when I when I get away. And uh, I'm going to change all the names and uh, <laughs> places you know. where this happens. But here's my, here's my official report world, right? <laughs> I'm going to put a little bit of that there, a little bit there, so no one will know. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asks, is this character based on me? No, only the heroes are based mm -hmm. on you. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Uh, there's, there's quite a bit of magic uh, in this book. There's some specific magical rules. So when did you sit down and start doing that world building? Did you need to do that up front or did it come to you as you wrote the story and then you refined it a bit? Uh, for the world building, I think um, it was a general world at first when I'm drafting so I like to I'm definitely not a pantser I can't just sit and just write and plot out as I'm going I need to do all of that beforehand and so I usually write out an outline of like what goes on in each chapter so before I get to that point I sort of need a general sense of what the world will be like what sort of magic powers there are and so I do all of that before I start to write. And then I write the first draft. After that, I sort of refine um, the world a bit and add more details in because I think the first draft, it just helps me figure out the story and you know, it kind of go from there. It's like a, a, a starting board. Gotcha. So when you're done, you have, do you did you sit down and literally write the, the whole outline, including the ending? This is what's going to happen specifically in each chapter. Or did it start a little bit bigger than that and then became more detailed as you went? Oh, it, much bigger than that. So what I mean is my outline is, is not, you know, super detailed. It's maybe like chapter one or chapter one, Leah, Leah sneaks out to the birthday party, but then I don't, I won't know how she does that until I start writing, but it's just basic, you know, events that happen. That's, that's my outline, <laughs> basic events that happen. And then once I get to writing, usually I try to think of, okay, this is the goal for this chapter. Like she needs to do this. So then I try to figure out like the most exciting way, the funnest way for her to do this. And um, that's, that's sort of how I start drafting. So yeah, I don't really have an idea exactly all the details of what will happen before. Um, I kind of go with the flow as I'm drafting. Gotcha, okay. So you've got some idea planned ahead, not everything, but you can go ahead and you've got enough information. You can at least write that first chapter. And then by the end of that, maybe you have some more ideas for the future. Yeah, so it's basically, I know what needs to happen in the chapter. Um, but not how it happens or all the details around it. Just this should happen here. Gotcha. Like discovers clue one, but I don't know how <laughs> until <laughs> I start writing. 
when I check, uh, I, I work a little bit similarly. And then sometimes in my outline, I'll just write something like, put something brilliant here, which is so helpful. Because yeah. then you look at it like, oh, wonderful. Let me, <laughs> let me get yes. right on that for you. <laughs> yes, I, I totally agree. In draft one, there's a lot of something happens here. And then, but it, it helps like just to get it down so that like during revisions, like, you, you know, you're a writer too. So you just keep adding layers to, to the, to the book, to the story. Yeah, no, eventually it's, it's the book is due and that's the final draft, which they take it away from you, but there were more layers that could have gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long uh, did from, from, uh, from, from the date you sat down to start to the, you took, you start querying with your, your finished manuscript. How long did it take you to get that book together? I would say about a year, um, maybe a little less. I was, when I started the book, I was pregnant with my second. And my goal was to finish this book and before I go to the hospital, um, send it off to agents, query agents and send it off. And, you know, everyone says it takes so long for them to come back and you can send it in batches. So my plan was to send the first batch out and, um, you know, go have my baby. And then, you know, hopefully in like a few months, I'll hear back from them and I'll be at a place where I can, um, you know, send a full manuscript or, or submit the second batch of um, queries to different agents. So I would say it, it took me about a year. Um, from like plotting it out, brainstorming to like writing and then revising. And was this during the, the quarantine pandemic for the pandemic that, that you're doing this as well? Um, no. So the book sold in right before the book sold in March 2020. Okay. And so the pandemic started like the next week. <laughs> I was really lucky. I was, it was, yeah, it was like right before the pandemic. And so that um, is a roller coaster. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So when I was writing it, it was like actually I was, um, I wrote half a part of it while I was in Korea um, at my parents' house because they were watching my daughter and I was like, I can write. <laughs> but I was, Pregnant through most of it. Okay, so I, I read somewhere I knew that you were pregnant and 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 raising your toddler while writing a book, and that already blew my mind. Like that's <laughs> that's incredible productivity there. And then I somewhere I read a, a, the the pandemic and played a role. Like wait, you were doing those things and the pandemic? Went, oh my god! Uh, so there was the second book then that you're working on, and then you're doing revisions through through quarantine. Yeah, so it was a lot of the revision was during the quarantine and it was like, you know, the kids are in school, but there's a case and then they're quarantined at home for like two weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, pandemic life. Um, but yes, the first book was when I had just one toddler and then was pregnant. Gotcha. Which that's, that's plenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a full day's work. So when you're doing that, what does your work day look like? Mm, I worked a bit. I mean, because I was pregnant, I was also sleepy a lot too. <laughs> so 
So it was like when I wasn't napping, when my daughter, thankfully at that time, she was in preschool. And so I had a little bit of time during the day. And so I would write during the day while she was at school. And um, when she gave, came back from home school, I would, I would play with her and maybe try to write for like an hour um, before I go to sleep. But I, I didn't, um, I couldn't stay up that late. So it was, it was pretty limited to my daytime and maybe an hour after she went to bed. When you sit down, do you have like a specific goal for word count pages or is it just, I have this much time, let's see what I can get? Now, I would say I have a specific word count, but back then it was like, I'll do what I can. And the goal that, you know, it was a very firm date though, because I knew I was, the baby was due on a certain date. So I needed to get everything done before then. And I wanted to really send it out before um, I had my baby. So um, I tried to pack in as much as I could on days where I felt productive and on days that, um, you know, I wrote 200 words, that's okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm pregnant, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll just work harder on other days. I have never been pregnant. And I celebrate a 200 for a day. Like, yes, I did something. That's right. <laughs> I'll take it too. I'm like, it's better than nothing. And, you know, <laughs> like, it's okay. My brain needs a little rest. That's one of the unfortunate things. Not unfortunate, but one of the things about anything about writing, uh, no, no descriptor in front of it, uh, is that I we're not making widgets. So it's difficult to say, I'll just write 500 words every day, a thousand words every day. And by this date, I'll have this many words. Because some days it's, oh, I wrote 2000 words. I'll just do this from now on. And then other days it's 200 words or, or less, mm -hmm. just staring at the screen, trying to figure out what's gonna happen with the story. Definitely. Wildly inconsistent and difficult to plan. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's like you celebrate all the little wins and all the words because they add up. <laughs> what uh, what methods do you use to celebrate your wins? Um, I used to order like or go to restaurants and eat my favorite foods <laughs> or buy like my favorite snack or sometimes it was boba tea. I would get boba tea or um, watch um, Korean dramas. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So you, you're, you're desperate to know what happened from last time's cliffhanger, but you're not going to until you, you, you finish your writing? Yes. I let myself have that treat too. Or else I would just like sit and binge watch, which I do do sometimes. But uh, like when I'm, when I'm on deadline, it's like hard to do that. <laughs> You know, we we can't talk bad about binge watching, as I understand it's a national pastime. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, although I, I personally have gotten better about it uh, just because I've had the experience of I just watched an entire season of a television show in two days and it was amazing. And now I don't have it anymore. It's gone. Whereas if I had slowed myself, I would have had a whole week or two or months worth of entertainment. That's so true. I'm more, you know, 
I watch with my husband and I'm more the one where if we found a favorite show that we like, which, you know, all the episodes are already out, I want to savor it. I want, because I only know, I know there's only 10 episodes, so I want to go slowly. And he's more the type, he's like, come on, go, go, let's keep watching. I'm like, but then what are we going to watch next? Then <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back to where we started. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fortunately, because everybody is making uh, shows for streaming services, now I feel like there, there's so much I can't possibly watch it all. So the, the pressure has gone off a little bit on that. Yeah, that's true. I, there are so many choices. And I think it's hard when there's so many choices because, you know, I sit down on my phone to like, I, I look on my phone to like start watching something. And I spend most of the time just flipping through and looking at previews. And then I never end up watching anything. I'm like, oh, I'm tired now. Now I'll go to sleep. <laughs> so I certainly enjoyed a lot of great previews. <laughs> Well, honestly, sometimes the, the previews are uh, the best part. Like there have been shows or movies where it wasn't that great, but I remember that trailer. That trailer was phenomenal. <laughs> I wish I'd just watched the trailer and I would have would have had nothing but, but good, uh, good, good positive thoughts associated with that experience. Yeah. So um, now that you're in the second book, uh, first book's coming out about to be a colossal success. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Does that, do you feel additional pressure uh, working on the second book, knowing that, that there are now going to be uh, lots of fans for the first book who are eagerly awaiting to see what happens next, or is it the same joy just continued? Uh, I won't lie, there's definitely, I definitely feel pressure. I don't think it's pressure that anyone puts on me. It's just what I feel for myself, and it's just how I am. But um, I think it's the sense that I don't want to disappoint. And also, you know, writing the first book, you know, not that I had all the time in the world, but, but um, you know, if I didn't finish it before I had my baby, it would be okay. I would still figure it out. But now there's just like a set timeline. So it's a lot more pressure um, that I feel um, trying to get everything done well and in time. So it's, 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 it's more of, of that. Um, but I still feel a lot of excitement in like figuring out the story and plotting it and drafting it and just the whole writing process. I think, um, that part is the same. It's just, I think the pressure is more from, um, the death, the tight timeline <laughs> to get things done by. Well, of course, now you've also got the additional responsibilities of, of promoting book one while you're working on book two, uh, which good news you're on this show. So that's already, <laughs> that's, that, that's a fair <laughs> about. Um, have you got uh, events lined up? Are you doing uh, virtual events? How, how are you finding ways to promote your story? Um, I think it's, uh, just through different events. Um, I have, um, a book launch with my uh, local bookstore here in Austin and, um, other events that, you know, through the publisher, through Simon and Schuster and, uh, yeah, just trying to market myself on, 
on social media. It's tough being um, trying to write and um, have a book coming out and trying to promote yourself and do all these designs on Canva when I'm I'm not a graphic designer. <laughs> I'm like I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't design things. <laughs> I assume your daughters still want the same amount of attention as as well. Yeah, so right now my writing time, both my daughters, so one is um one is a toddler, one is like in six now. And so they both go to school and my writing time is, is um, while they're at school, but, but when I'm not like cleaning and doing laundry <laughs> and all the other house, house stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I usually work um, during the day now. Thankfully they're both at school and there's been no cases so far this week. So all is good. <laughs> It has been very difficult because my my, my son has um, went back to school uh, this year, thank God, after being home for a bit in the quarantine. And you get into a routine, like, okay, well, I've got these weeks to get this done because he'll be at school mm -hmm. for such, such and such time. And then, surprise, somebody had a case or somebody, and now he's home for two weeks. <laughs> it's it's a lot to juggle and, and, and manage. And now, okay, well, now I've got to replan my, my deadlines. Yeah, totally. I have so much respect for um, author, writer, parents now, <laughs> especially during the pandemic. I'm like, how do you guys keep it all together? I can't. <laughs> it's, it's so much work. And you know, the funny thing is a lot of times when those, all those things collide, they collide when it, when like something is due. Like that week, it was like silence, silence, silence. And then something is due, I have a deadline, but that's when, you know, um, at school they had a COVID case, so they have to be quarantined at home. <laughs> <laughs> or like something else happens at the same time, I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like the uh, producers of the show that is the universe thought that there needed to be a little bit more drama there. So let's, let's raise the stakes. <laughs> create additional problems for our hero. <laughs> Funny. So, um, so you're doing, you're, you're doing events. We mentioned you have been on a, a few panels and I'm assuming you're continuing to do panels um, to, to promote the story. Mm, uh, let's see. So I've been on two panels and um, so far I have one other one for uh, I think it's like November with NCTE and that one is in November um, and then you know some other events but yes. Sure. Uh, Jenna Yoon have you ever seen a flying saucer and or a ghost? No flying saucer that would be very cool to see though but I have not seen a flying saucer <laughs> for ghosts. I, I've never seen one and you know what's funny? At growing up, I loved horror stories and I loved watching scary movies with like ghosts and everything. But now as an adult, I can't watch it because it's too scary. <laughs> I was like, it's something paranormal. It's like a ghost killing people where like, if it was like a human, you know, at least I can see them. Um, but I don't know. I find it very 
uh, scary these days as an adult. So like, I can't, I can't watch um, horror films anymore. Although like I, I was such, I was the biggest fan growing up. I read like all the R.L. Stein books and um, I would go to all the screenings of like horror movies, but not anymore. <laughs> Do you remember when that changed for you? I would say after I watched Ring. That was pretty scary. <laughs> that one kept you up the, the, the next night and like, all right, well, I'm done. That, that's it forever? Yeah. Like, but the funny thing is, like, my sister was visiting me at college at that time. And she hates horror movies. And she would never go see one. But I really wanted to watch The Ring at the theater. So I tricked her. I told her, oh, it's like this really fun comedy. It's a rom-com. You'll love it. <laughs> and then, like, you know, Big Sister is paying. And, uh, you know, I kind of distracted her from seeing, like, what it said, you know, outside the door. So we sat down and she was like, I'm so excited. And she was like, wait, what is this? And I drove there so she can't, like, leave either. So... <laughs> <laughs> we watched it together but I ended up being the one that was like oh my gosh I can't watch anymore it's so scary <laughs> well after this that story I feel that that's that's just desserts <laughs> yes <laughs> so like, I'm assuming okay. your sister forgave you after that yes. maybe after a day or two is fine <laughs> yes but we still talk about it she's like remember that time you did that I was like yeah Sorry. Has she been plotting her revenge all this while, or has she already found a way to get it? Uh, no, she's she's quite forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been an absolute pleasure, Jen. I so appreciate you. You're making time for me and making time for for esteemed audience. Uh, you're gonna you've got another book coming out and some additional books. I hope you'll come back in the future and we'll we'll chat again. Uh, for today, my final question for you uh, is if you could go back to when you were starting to write somewhere in the middle, where would it be useful for you to go back and give yourself some advice that would have made easier your path and might make easier the path of all the writers who are watching or listening to us? What would you go back and tell yourself? Gosh, I think um, it would be to to just keep doing what you love. Like, don't let what other people say about your work stop you from doing what you love. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, I think it matters most that you believe in yourself and, you know, you keep pursuing what you love. Um, I think that's, like, one of my big regrets is just that I let it get to me um, and it made me stop doing what I loved. And in some senses, you know, I wonder, oh, what, what would it have been like if I had kept writing? Um, would I have been a better writer? And, you know, it, it, you can go on and on. But I think the other advice is, like, what happens in life, I feel, um, I feel thankful for what happened. And, you know, it gave me more experience and more breath and I learned Korean art history, you know, and so it all worked out. Um, but still, 
you know, I could have still written on the side. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that would be one thing I would say. And also, um, I think as writers, you know, before I had an agent, I would always look forward to the next thing. Like, oh, if I had an agent, I can't wait until that day. That'll be so exciting. And then, oh, I can't wait until I get a book deal. That'll be so exciting. <laughs> and, and once you reach those like goalposts kind of, it, it feels like, okay, now what? I feel like it sort of gives, um, um, I mean, those. I, I think it's important to have goals and um, dreams and things that you want to achieve. But I think um, having it just be like, oh, I want to get a publisher. I, I want to get a book deal. It kind of feels a little, um, I don't know. It just kind of feels like, okay, I did that. Now what? You know? Um, so I would say for me, it's helped to have a bigger dream. Like, I don't want to call it a dream, a bigger purpose, I guess. Um, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, yes, I would love, of course, I would love to be a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the bigger thing is like, I, I'm doing this, I'm writing because I want to make a better world for my kids. And I want, I don't want them to grow up um, not having characters that look like them. I want them, I want something different for them than what I had. And I want, um, and I feel like by writing these kind of books, of course I'm not changing the world, but I feel like I'm doing a little part, like I'm doing something to help it go in that direction. And so for me, I feel like that's my purpose and like why I'm writing these books rather. Um, and that's what kind of keeps me going, you know, because sometimes if you have those dreams and you don't meet them or it never happens, what are you going to do? You're going to feel, I would feel a little like, hmm, is it all worth it? Kind of. But um, I think when you have something a little bit deeper than just like those like goalposts, that um, during the harder times, because everyone goes through those slumps, it kind of gets you past it. So that that would be my advice. <laughs> I think that's the perfect note to end on. Where can esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media and all that good stuff? Um, my website is authorjennayoung.com and all my social media is author Jenna Yu, so you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. And as always, esteemed audience, for interviews with all the world's best people, a wealth of knowledge that awaits you at to middlegradeninja.com. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. It will change your life. And God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Thank you.